Good morning. All right. Uh, please welcome my friend Charlotte. Charlotte is going to read for us this morning. Um, so we are once again uh, in the midst of this Three Years with Jesus series, and the first chunk of it uh, for year two is about stories that Jesus told. So we've been looking at these different parables, and this morning is one of the most famous parables Jesus ever told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you, uh, if you're not familiar with the parable, I'm sure you've heard the term Good Samaritan. So that's where this comes from. We're going to look at that parable today. If you are familiar with this parable, my hope this morning is that by God's grace we'll see something new, that, that God will awaken us uh, to something we have not seen before and uh, enliven our spirits, enliven our souls to respond uh, in a way that um, brings God joy and honor. Uh, let's pray before we jump in. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to get to be here this morning. God, we pray for those in our church family who are traveling and gone this morning that they would know your loving presence with them. And for those of us who are here this morning, God, give us new eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand as we look at this 2,000-year-old story that Jesus told. In the name of Jesus, everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's jump in. All right. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay. So this teacher of the law comes. Um, this, uh, my translation says expert in the law. Your translation may say lawyer. Uh, if it says lawyer, it's not a uh, lawyer like we think of today. A lawyer in Jesus' day would have been someone who studied intensely, especially the first five books of the Bible, but uh, the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. And so this person who comes to Jesus is an expert in the study of the scriptures. He knows them in and out. It's likely he has huge chunks of the scriptures memorized, if not all of the Old Testament memorized. These experts in the law in Jesus' day knew the text in and out. And so this guy, he sees Jesus going around teaching, uh, and he sees this following that Jesus has, and sees that people are drawn to him, and sees that Jesus is, is a wise and a learned teacher, and so he wants to get Jesus' perspective, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he asks Jesus a question. If we know Jesus, and we know the way Jesus interacts with people, how do you think Jesus responds to a question? With a question. With a question. All right. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Okay. So Jesus responds to him, you, you tell me, you're an expert in the law. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Uh, the very fact that Jesus even says, how do you read it, implies that we need to interpret it. Uh, we can't just always take the text at face value. We can't just always interpret it literally. It requires 
prayerful discernment and interpretation and a communal discernment and reliance on God revealing to us what the text is actually saying to us. And so uh, he comes with a question and Jesus responds. You tell me, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so this expert in the law says, this is what I understand the most important things in the law to be saying. That the first and most important law is to love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is a holistic loving of God. It it, it requires our minds being attuned to God, our hearts being attuned to God, our souls being attuned to God, our bodies being attuned to God. This holistic love God. Now, there were these debates uh, raging in first century Palestine in Jesus' day. Uh, I know in our day, we can't imagine debates and differences of opinion, but just try to imagine for a moment that in Jesus' day, there, there were these debates around uh, different things. And one of the things were, uh, what are the most important laws? Like if we if we put one, two, three, four, five next to them, what would be the most important laws? And without question, almost all experts in the law, all rabbis agree, the most important law is this, this law to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It was this most sacred text to the Jews called the Shema, which in Hebrew means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So this, this general agreement, most important law, love God. There was some debate on what the next most important law was. Some said it is to love your neighbor as yourself, whereas others said, no, the Sabbath should come in second, and then love neighbor. So there's this debate around this. So this expert in the law says, now, second most important is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So Jesus agrees. Most important laws, love God, love neighbor. So in a sense, this guy is getting at where Jesus is coming from. They're in agreement on this. But uh, the expert in the law still has another question. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? This is the big question, because this was another raging debate in Jesus' day. There were two main schools. Uh, so you, you have this uh, Jewish group called the Sadducees, these religious leaders who were the Sadducees, then another group called the Pharisees. There were uh, a lot more Pharisees than there were Sadducees. And within the Pharisees, there were two primary schools of thought, the school of Rabbi Hillel and the school of Rabbi Shammai. Hillel and Shammai agreed on a lot of things, but there were a number of things they disagreed on. And so you would generally associate yourself as a learned Jew within one of these schools, Hillel or Shammai. Uh, What they disagreed on was who is my neighbor? 
Shammai said, my fellow Jew is my neighbor. I am not responsible for anyone else other than my fellow Jew. My fellow Jew is my neighbor. Hillel, however, said, no, 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 no. Everyone is your neighbor. He had an exception, though. The exception was the Samaritans. Everyone is my neighbor except Samaritans. That was Hillel's thought. And so this expert in the law comes to Jesus knowing this debate is raging. Who is my neighbor? Is it just my fellow Jew or is it everyone? But of course not Samaritans. We all agree Samaritans don't count. And so he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Uh, do you think Jesus answers his question straight out? Of course not. He tells a story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Okay, so we have this man who has been beaten severely. Uh, he is going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, the journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho, if I can have uh, the next slide, um, you see Jerusalem, well, if you're down at the bottom, you see Masada next to the Dead Sea. Next one up is Bethlehem. Next one up is Jerusalem. And then just to the right and up is Jericho. Now, Jerusalem sits at uh, about 2,300, 2,500 feet elevation. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. So you're talking about a 17-mile journey and 3,300 miles at 3,300 feet descent on the way down to Jericho. So even though Jericho is a little north, the text re they go down from Jerusalem to Jericho because it's 3,300 feet down. So this man is journeying down to Jericho. Now there were side routes you could take to go a long way around, but the shortest route was through what had become known as the Valley of the Shadow. So if you remember this ancient psalm that David wrote, Psalm 23, saying, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, uh, fear no evil. So this journey, next slide, shows the valley of the shadow. This is the route to get from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And the next couple of slides show other pictures of this route you would have to take to get from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's a very dangerous journey. Uh, thieves would hide out in the mountains uh, to try to catch passers-by who they could rob. And this is what happens to this man in the story Jesus is telling. It says this man is going down. He was robbed. And then a priest comes by. And everybody listening to the story is thinking, ah, the priest, the priest will help him. But the priest goes by on the other side. Everyone listening to the story thinks the Levite, for sure, the Levite's going to help him, but the Levite goes around the other side. Now, there was this uh, ancient text in Leviticus that said this, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people 
who die. In other words, a priest is not allowed to touch a dead body. If the priest touches a dead body, he's unclean, and he's got to go through all this really ancient ritual practices to make himself clean again. And so people, as they're listening to this story, they're thinking, oh, the priest, he should have helped the man. But he's probably thinking, what if the man's dead? I don't want to make myself unclean. So he's more concerned that the priest in Jesus' story and the Levite in Jesus' story are more concerned about being ritually clean than they are about humanitarian aid. And they pass by on the other side. Uh, I wonder for us, I I, I think, you know, as I study this, as I look at this, uh, and as I contemplate it, and I I wonder for you, uh, the question, where are we passing by on the other side? Uh, What are the things or the people that we see that God has invited us into and we choose instead to pass by on the other side because it's inconvenient, because uh, it, it's not really our thing to pay attention to. Uh, I am convinced that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And it seems that the priest and the Levite in this story are indifferent to this man's plight. And that God invites us into a way of life that is filled with love and compassion and kindness, not indifference. And so we are invited to pay attention to the places where we may be passing on the other side and instead God is inviting us into a situation that perhaps we would rather not enter into. And so Jesus is telling this story, and a priest and a Levite pass by on the other side. Now, in ancient storytelling, uh, usually things come in threes. And so the crowd is anticipating, okay, the third character is coming, and the third character will be the hero. The third character will help out. But a Samaritan. Whoa! So everybody's listening, and they're like, what? The third character is a what? As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have made. Okay. So you, you just got to imagine for a moment you're listening to this story as a Jewish person and as this expert in the law. Jesus makes the third character a Samaritan. Jesus says the person who actually stopped and helped was the per- people group you despise most. Uh, Jesus' crowd are absolutely shocked. Uh, There were extra-biblical texts specifically written about the Samaritans to to let people know how horrible they were. Here's some of them. Shechem, and Shechem is a city where Samaritans settled. So uh, Samaritans live in Shechem. Shechem shall be called city of the senseless because as one might scoff at a fool, so we scoffed at them. Next slide. Samaritans convey uncleanness to anything beneath them 
or that they overshadow. Next. He that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like to one that eats the flesh of swine. Uh, now, that might not mean anything to us, except for the fact that for Jews, swine, pigs, were unclean. They're de detestable. You never eat pork. And so this is who the Samaritans are to most Jews. And then one more. Two nations my soul detests, and the third is not even a people. Those who live in Seir and the Philistines and the foolish people that live in Shechem. So, so you have to try to understand this is what the people who Jesus is telling this story to think of Samaritans. And this is who Jesus says comes to the rescue, is a Samaritan. Now, for us, it's probably different for different people in this room, but I, I wonder who the Samaritan is for you. Uh, who are the group of people that when that group of people is mentioned, it just kind of something rises in you, gets your blood pressure up. Uh, or maybe it's a specific person. Jesus is trying to wake us up to a different way of thinking, a different way of being. He absolutely shocked his first century listeners by telling this story. Uh, there, are, there are some stories in recent history that for me uh, just seem shocking and yet absolutely covered in God's grace. Uh, back in 2011, there were a number of attacks on Christian Coptic churches in Egypt by Muslim extremists. And so there were threats of more attacks against these churches. And so this is what happened. Next slide. Thousands and thousands of Muslims in Egypt showed up at Christian churches and surrounded them as human shields. And they said, not on our watch. We will protect our Christian neighbors from extremists. And these Muslims showed up to protect Christians from further attacks. When some Christians threatened retaliation, next slide, Egyptian Christians showed up and surrounded their Muslim neighbors and said, not on our watch, and acted as a human shield to their Muslim neighbors. Uh, people who were at odds saying, actually, we're of the same human family, and we're going to protect one another. Uh, same thing happened in Pakistan two years later in 2013. There were threats against Christian churches, and their Muslim neighbors showed up in droves and said, not on our watch, and surrounded those Christian churches to protect them while they worshiped inside. This is what it means to be a neighbor. There's another story that just absolutely shocked me. A 13-year-old boy named Amid. This is Amid. 
He lived in, Pal in the West Bank, in Palestine. And one morning, he stepped outside his door with a toy gun. Israeli soldiers mistook it for a real gun, and they shot him twice. He was immediately rushed to an Israeli hospital. He survived for two days before he died. Now, none of us can understand, really, the conflict between Palestine and Israel. Uh, wherever you might be on your thinking with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, I, I just simply want to invite you for a moment to imagine you are the parents of Amid. Your son was just shot and killed by Israeli soldiers. Just imagine how they feel. Imagine what your response would be. Just think about that for a minute. What would my response be? if the enemy, the person I despise, shot and killed my child. You know what his parents' response was? He was taken to an Israeli hospital. There were a number of people in that hospital who needed organ transplants. His parents donated his organs to Israelis. His parents gave his heart to a young girl Israeli girl who needed a heart. His parents gave his lungs to an Israeli child who needed lungs. His parents gave his kidneys away. His parents gave his liver away to Israelis. They said, we need to be a neighbor. Our son has died, but others could live. Uh, what would our response be if that happened to us? Uh, Jesus comes and shocks his first century hearers. There, there are stories like this that should shock us and wake us up to a different way of being human. His, his parents said, this is our overture of peace. We want peace. We don't want conflict. We can't bring our son back to life, but he can give life to others who desperately need it. And they offered that sacrifice of peace and love. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Okay, so the expert in the law says, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer. He responds with a story, and then another question. He puts it back into the hands of the expert of the law. Which of these three was a neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay. So uh, some commentators on this passage uh, are really hard on the expert of the law because he can't even say the word Samaritan. Uh, he can't even say it was the Samaritan. He just simply says, uh, the one who had mercy on him. What I take great hope from, in the, one of the things I take great hope from in this story is that I think the expert in the law actually is moving towards Jesus, not away. He answers 
the, the great, the, the law, what does the law say? The law is love. This expert in the law knows that the heart of the law is love. And he also says to be neighborly is to extend mercy. It's to extend kindness. It's to extend love to all. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That this is the invitation, that, that we have been touched by mercy and we are invited to give mercy. We have been touched by grace and we are invited to give grace. We have been touched by love and we are invited to give love, even to the people who we could never imagine extending it to. God extended grace and mercy and love to all of us and invites us to extend the same grace, mercy, and love to everyone we encounter. And the ultimate sign and act of God's love, grace, and mercy was when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the Lord's mercy, the Lord's grace, the Lord's love until he comes. This morning, as we come and partake of the bread and the cup, as we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, simply want us to consider the question, who is my neighbor? Who is the person or people group that I have a hard time extending grace to, that I have a hard time extending love and mercy to? Who, who is it for you? And let us remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ extended grace and mercy and love for us. And we are invited to do the same. God, we come to you with hearts that recognize that this story should shock us. It should wake us up. And so, God, we ask for your grace to, to live in such a way that we will once again be made aware of the grace and love and mercy you extended to us. And God, by your spirit, Give us the grace, mercy, and love to share that with everyone we encounter. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.